0: Thanks for joining us for the MEP Manufacturing Podcast, Transforming Manufacturing Enterprises. MEP believes that there are some elements to a manufacturer's business, whether it's finding their inefficiencies, strengthening their internal processes, or even unlocking their growth, that can extend a manufacturer beyond its current limitations. So every episode, take a journey with us as we speak with manufacturers, legislature, subject matter experts, and so many more as we head down the path of manufacturing across the state of Massachusetts. Whether we're in Boston, Worcester, or out in Springfield, maybe even in the Berkshires, we'll be here every week and we'll explain to you more about manufacturing and what's happening right in your own
1: backyard. Hello, welcome to the MassMeP Manufacturing Podcast. I'm Haley Steele.
2: And I am your co-host, Kevin Tata.
1: Oh, you! I like your title.
2: Switched it up a little bit. Had oh, to okay. keep things uh, interesting.
1: I'm going to go with, um, we haven't done one of these in so long that we almost forgot how we do the entrance to this. And so you were like, <laughs> uh, I'm a co-host, co-host Kevin Tata.
2: Co-host now. That's yeah. what I am self-titled
1: yeah. i like it it's good it's good so uh we are back we have a full house with us today
2: a full house
1: yeah it's very exciting kevin likes houses like this because he's loud is, in here yeah it is loud and hopefully everybody will be able to hear it a little bit better um than what we were just doing in our little prep session and some people couldn't get a word in edgewise so we'll, <laughs> we'll do better in the podcast side of what it. prep
2: session we don't need a prep session for this come on what are you talking about
1: There it is. See? Confidence just oozes out of this department. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Uh, So we're here today. We are talking about manufacturing trends for 2024. Uh, I think sometimes we don't always dig into these trends because we're not really, you know, they're just trendy, right? They're trends and they kind of come and go, but we thought, why not? Let's just tackle them for as we end out the uh, 2023 year and go into 2024 and give some people some food for thought to work on for uh, when they're prepping for next year in 2024. So here we are. Here Good we one. are. Yeah. All right. Great. I would like to introduce you to our full house uh, that we have with us today. First, we have with us Kathy Mahoney. She is our president at Mass MEP. Welcome, Kathy.
3: Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to
1: the conversation. Good. Me too. Me too. We also have with us our Director of Innovative Growth Services, Ellen Ellsworth. Welcome, Ellen. Hi there.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: You're welcome. you will hear her 60 pages of notes shuffling through as we start talking today. And we have with us our Director of Workforce Development, Wendy Mackey. Welcome, Wendy. This is your first time on the podcast. How are you feeling? I'm feeling a little
5: bit nervous about the icebreaker, but very excited for the banter. Thank you for
1: having me, hello. You're welcome, I'm glad. That was good, I like it. And uh, last, definitely not least, we have with us our Senior Director of Business Development, Christy Grignon. welcome back.
6: Thank you for inviting me back again. (laughs) I try, I always try to get invited back. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, so Kevin. You have the honors, Uh, as everybody knows, we always do an icebreaker because it's the best way to get our guests in a good place to take away the nerves and to not think about their multiple pages of notes that they have that we're gonna run through. So the table is yours.
2: I feel like I have so much power with this uh, icebreaker. it's, It's invigorating, honestly. But to get down to it, here it comes. Um, if you're locked in a store for 24 hours, what store would you pick? It can be any store, any, any place where you buy goods, I suppose. Christy, I know you've been itching to answer this. So, I mean, you can, you can be the first one as well, but.
6: Well, I, I need more rules. Like, is this like sweepstakes? Like I can take everything in that store with me because I'm probably going to go to like Nordstrom.
2: That's fair. Okay, so you can you can take out anything that you can carry, like in your two Ooh. arms, you can't take like a shopping cart or anything like that. You can't just like wipe them clean of everything they have. But um, I can answer first, the the store that I would want to spend 24 hours in is a Dick's Sporting Goods, just because there is a wide range of things that I can do in there. There's treadmills, I can like work out, I can use free weights, I can go to the the, um, the green and the golf area and put a little bit I can I can do a loads of things so that's that's what I'm picking
3: I'm picking I'm picking TJ Maxx because there's sleeping bags there's bedding there's clothes and to Christie's point there's food um there's to Christie's point take anything out there's big huge <laughs> cases so I can fill it plus carry stuff
2: Oh okay <laughs> no that's great I like right. that. I like that a lot I was thinking I was gonna- grocery store too like just eat a bunch of food and get out of there but
5: i'm gonna go with a furniture store like jordan's or something because i would love because i want a comfortable bed to sleep in for those 24 hours but also i can like roll up one of those really cool lounge chairs up to the big av tv section i can blast the music that would be fun dancing on the new carpets and bring home some pillows
4: maybe yeah that's good Get
2: get a feel for all the furniture before you kind of buy it or something like that give it a test drive i like that
4: yeah I like the Jordans I, I I might steal it like I I don't want anything in my house the IMAX right there too. we could go to yeah. the IMAX theater yeah they have the Richardson's ice cream and the like but like if I'm if I'm locked in without my kids 24 hours of like rest yeah be-
2: you know there's a Jordan's furniture um I think in Connecticut that has the biggest ropes course in like I don't know if it's in the US or the entire world or something like that, but it has a lot of different things. So if you pick that Jordan's, you have plenty of things to do.
4: <laughs> yeah. The one in Redding here has quite a few things. It has a huge ropes course. It has a Richardson's go. ice cream, like ice cream also. It has like a little waterfall thing. Oh, like it has that. like the ski ball. Like <laughs> you know that's, that's
2: perfect.
6: Very good. Yeah, those all sound like great answers, Kevin. I, I go with them. <laughs> i
2: refuse to take that
6: um you know what i think i'm gonna throw a wild card out there i think i'd go to like the museum of science i think being or like like being in the museum of science by yourself for 24 hours Mm. going into everything and exploring things and pulling things apart something like that i think i'd go and spend 24 hours at
2: i like that that's cool you get
4: to absorb it
6: yeah yeah So that's what I'm going with. I don't know if I went off the reservation on that, but.
2: No, I like it. I like it. You you went out of the box and I I appreciate that.
6: Good answer. Good answer.
2: Last Um, but not least.
6: I would
1: do a toy store. FAO. Yeah, totally FAO Schwartz. Yeah. yep. I would totally do a toy store. I would do like they do like in big where he jumps on the Kevin you don't probably don't know the movie um but in big where they have the big piano yeah. and he, they jump on the piano I'll totally do that I would do yeah play the games oh I get everything out and then I'd leave it all there just like everybody does in my house it'd be great
2: <laughs>
4: yeah. do a puzzle I would sit there and do puzzles yeah a- anything, fun.
1: anything in there yeah. It, yeah. you got it all you got toys you got yeah yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't sleep. Because, it's like the everything store.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally I do a toy store. Yeah, I do a toy store. I don't know if there's many left. Yeah, but I do FAO shorts then because I know there's not I know that one's there. So I picked that. Yeah. That was a good that question.
2: Some great answers.
1: Well, since um everybody I think uh good answers. Everybody seems a little bit more at ease now with uh knowing now we all know our, our secrets, so somebody gets locked somewhere. We'll know where to find you. Um Don't worry, Ellen. We will not tell the kids where you are. Your secret's safe with us. You're good. We'll let you go. We get it. Been there, done that. We get it. Yeah. So, Yeah, we get it. So we did pull together uh, a couple of questions on three trends that we were looking at for 2024 that the questions that we chose were where we are as an organization and where our initiatives kind of fall in place when it comes to mass MEP, And then obviously we have um, one, we're gonna do like a wrap up, kind of go through if there's some things that we miss. So obviously each of our guests is gonna be here to talk a little bit about that. And then they may even each have to, a way to overlap into each of their, other's questions as well. So I'll start, we'll start with you, Kathy because um, I know this is a big one right now we've been doing a lot on. I know you're getting ready to go and speak to it again um, in this month, now that we're in December, and we're talking about uh, supply chain challenges and are they reviving, uh, reshoring? So in the information we looked at when we pulled up this article, where are we kind of seeing Massachusetts in the future when it comes to supply chain Maybe what are we doing as an organization, um, and then if there's any other maybe nuggets of information you have regarding supply chain as to what we can offer out to the audience.
3: So supply chain is definitely out of the pandemic. Um, it was identified as a clear gap within the United States. You know, I mean, think about everyone you know having to hoard chicken and toilet paper and um, baby food and. You know, formula and diapers, and there was just, and it ebbed and flowed, um, both for the consumer and both and for the manufacturer. Um, there, you know, there was ca- um, supply chain issues at the manufacturer; they couldn't get their product out, which meant further down the line of the product, there was supply chain issues. But we're still seeing it, right? Um, a couple of months ago, six, eight months ago, there was an issue with the Panama Canal. So anything that was stuck um, coming through that was going through the Panama Canal and got stuck couldn't get to where it was intended to go. There was strikes and labor issues at the port in Los Angeles. Um, So the trailers from China and overseas were out in the water, you know, where normally there was less than 100. They were talking like 130, 140 ships um, with containers on them that were just stuck in the port that they couldn't unload. So it ties into um, the big demand that we're seeing now and the focus at the federal government with bringing manufacturing back to the United States. And that's been a trend for a few years. It's ebbed and flowed a little bit. But I think since the pandemic and all of the global unrest, we're seeing it more and more. So if companies start thinking about where they get their supplies from, um, their materials, are they looking at? Is are they friendly countries? What would happen if there was a global, huge global disturbance? Um, You know, similar to Ukraine, similar to what's happening with Palestine and Israel. Um, You know, it's all over the news. What happens if China does invade Taiwan? Are companies looking at what that risk, where their risk factor is, Um, and they have to build build that into their planning process going forward? So one of the things that we're doing here is in MassMEP is we're talking about supplier scouting and supplier demand, um, but also how do you build up your productivity within your facility? And in order to meet those demands that could be coming down the pipeline as more production is brought back to the United States. So we're identifying gaps in Massachusetts. Um, what are the products that we're importing? Where are we importing them from? Could we produce them here? Um, We identify companies, if you have a demand for either a material or something that you're looking for, we have a way of looking at both, obviously, first in Massachusetts, then the Northeast region, and then as well as in the United States. So it all connects to that piece of it. But in anticipation of who are the companies supplying to, what's the trend that they're seeing in that industry? So CHIPS is a huge push right now in the United States there's 17 fabs that are being built um those products are going to be once those fabs are built those products are going to be purchased the material that they need to produce those chips are going to be purchased in the United States or in European countries the demand the demand that the federal government has put on with the percentage of pro- uh, the percentage of the product being made in the United States in order to go into the defense industry is also going to impact that whole supply chain piece of it. So companies have to look at the long-term, but also do a lot of investigative work into where their materials are coming from, because they may think it's Joe down the street, but Joe may be getting 90% of it from overseas. So they have to do that due diligence on where their products are coming from. And that is the type of information that's gonna be requested um, going forward into the future. And I think that's where technology comes into play. So can you identify either through the data of the material, the ma- data that goes with the material when it's produced down the pipeline for production to identify exactly what the source point was um, and where it hit along that production pipeline. So it, but it also ties into the workforce piece of it, which is another trend that we're seeing. Um and you know, you have to build up that skilled workforce there the numbers just aren't there. If you look at the demographics, right, there is for every 61 people that are unemployed, there is 100 openings for jobs. There is not the demographics there. So companies have to look at thinking a little bit outside the pipeline, a traditional pipeline piece of, you know, how are we attracting more more people into the manufacturing industry? Where are we looking at you know, getting these pieces of it. And that ties into the new workforce initiatives that MassMVP is working on, um, you know, behind the wall. Can we, p- people that were formerly incarcerated, um, you know, people that are on the spectrum, they're fantastic at quality, you know, point solution positions and companies. Um, there is a resource there for those. The immigration population that's coming in, you know, immigrants have forever, I mean, for hundreds of years, provided the workforce initiatives to build this country. Um, and over the past few years that's a population that has declined based on the you know the regulations and everything at the immigration level. But also how do we how does the United States and Massachusetts look at reducing that transition period from someone coming into the country that can work? I mean there are you know there are people they have skills, um, but how do we get them to overcome it faster? Um, I've heard anywhere from a year to 10 years to get someone in the pipeline, a, a, a company can't wait 10 years to bring someone in, um, to hire them. So it's, how do we get those people to work faster, um, and provide, then they can be that va- value add to the company and to the state that they're living in and bring home a wage to support their family too.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've been in a, a part of this for, you know, you've been in this manufacturing world for a long time. Um, and do you see something like when they say trends, I mean, do you really think they are trends or do you really think it's just what's happening in the moment and how we change just as a society and, and where we go um, through time? You know, like as we talk about a lot of the different, you know, like the industry
2: 4.0, mm-hmm.
1: where it was 1.0 and now it's 4.0. Like what is your kind of overview of that?
3: So I there's been trends forever um whether it's technology fashion you know home improvement designs I think the biggest thing is that the companies have to think about what works best for them and for their company um, and where they want to be as as they grow you know for example I just redid my kitchen a huge trend in kitchen design is counter to ceiling tiled walls well I'm someone that likes to constantly change what puts what's put on the wall I'm not going to drill holes in tiles every time I want to change something So that's not a trend that works for me. Um, It's the same with manufacturing companies, right? Automation, and when we say automation, we don't necessarily mean robotics. I mean, it could be a conveyor belt that just moves the material from A to B. Um, It could be taking into account technology and the data analytics that you're using to do something faster. So they have to look at their company, but first they need to look at the culture within the company and what what can that sustain. Um, there's a new trend coming out. It's first heard about it in June. Um, the fifth generation of, um, industrial trend industry 5.0, right. And it's all about the culture and the workforce. So we're going, and I think that is going to tie very closely to the technology piece of it. Um, so yes, there are trends. I mean, you know, there are trends that come and go, right. I heard the other day that the, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are 40 years old. I think I've seen five iterations of them. You know, yeah, right, 40 years old. They are 40 years old. They came out 40 years ago. (laughs) gosh. And I was with someone that said, I thought they were only around a couple of years. I'm like, no, they've been around for 40 years. (laughs) So it's, you know, trends come and go. But I think technology, I think the supply chain piece of it, and I think the workforce piece of it However you address that trend is not going to go away. Um, but that is not the same piece is not going to work for everyone, which is one of the things that makes MassMAP so unique because we go in and we talk to the clients about what works best for them. It could be, you know, it could be a Cobot in one company and it could be a conveyor belt in another so that the employees aren't picking up the product and picking up and putting it down. Mm-hmm right or versus packaging it could be addressing their workforce issue that they can't find someone to put the piece into the the finished product into the package so they hire a cobot or they purchase a cobot it's it's addressing what that need is for the company um and i i don't think the trends are going to go away i just think it's how you address the specifics of that trend. Um, I think the other thing that we're going to see a lot more of is sustainability and what the company is doing around sustainability. Um, and I'm adding AI into technology, um, that piece of it, so it's not just the, the mechanics of it. Um, but the generation that's coming in, they they want to know what the impact is that they're doing, their day-to-day job um, on the environment. Um, you know, we we have climate change right i climate change has impacted me i have to take my allergy medicine all year all year round now instead of 6 months so it's it, it affects everyone differently um but i think we're all more aware of it than we have been in the past so i think we're going to start to see more and more of that um but i don't think those three trends are going away anytime soon they could adjust
1: yeah when we talk about you know when we always try to come up with different topics and we look through things we always look at stuff like this. And I think it's always good to have a better perspective of it when it comes to something that it's not just, obviously, you know, articles are written for information and for this to be passed on, but knowing, you know, somebody like yourself, that's been in the industry, you know, this long that you can see, um, you see those patterns and those habits. So, um, I think it's good to know, but it's, we did, choosing these three topics just because of what we are
3: hearing the most and what we're dealing with the
1: most in our day-to-day. And
3: I, I think it all ties down to demographics and workforce. Um, if you look at all of these these items, um, it's where are we going to go in the future, but we just don't have the people to do that. There's a great Um, New York Times article that shows the demographics um, in the future population, and the interesting thing is that the United States um, demographically is going to have the largest growth population percentage-wise compared to other countries, which I think is a huge benefit for us and definitely places us in a a fantastic spot to grow um, as we want to and continue to be a powerhouse in the global economy, so I think that that's a great thing. but we do need to bring more manufacturing back here. Um for years it went overseas. I think we're all more I think we're all more aware that if we buy local, we're going to probably pay a little bit more, but there's a huge upside to doing that. And I think we're at a point I personally am at a point that I would rather buy something for $3 more if I know it was made locally than made in China for $3 less. Um and I I don't think that is a trend that's going to go away, which all ties back to manufacturing. You know, where is the product made. So
2: Awesome. So, we touched a bit on on, uh, workforce development. So, speaking of that, Wendy, uh, we are seeing more and more organizations putting themselves in the shoes of their staff to see the organization through uh, the staff's eyes. This is allowing them to understand and envision how to make better adjustments for reskilling, upskilling, and growing the pipeline. What kind of resources are out there for these organizations, and where do we see this trend heading in 2024 versus where it was in 2022?
5: That's a lot of questions. <laughs>
2: um,
5: so, so, you know, we just the, all of us on this call, most of all of us on this call, went to a the national conference for the MEP system. A couple months ago, and one of the things that, like, I probably attended 20 or 30, <laughs> it felt like, um, seminars on workforce development, and um, so many of them were talking about a stay interview. You know, they wanted to, they're, they're encouraging everybody to to figure out why people are staying at their at their location, so that they can really include that in part of their retention strategy. Um, but also thinking about onboarding. Um, and what they also wanted people to do is talk to their newest employees against their long-term employees and see the differences between the two. Uh, so I think the whole idea of um, really understanding what keeps somebody at your space is really going to be a part of the solution uh, for your your workforce. If you're not thinking about Retaining the workforce you have, um, you you're going to lose them. You know, uh, you really need to be planning ahead on that way. On that,
2: <laughs> what kind of resources are out there for these organizations, and where do we see these trends heading in the future, as opposed to where they were two, three years ago, or something like that?
5: Okay, so resources. There's there are a lot of resources out there to uh, to help folks figure out. Um, how to keep people? How to attract people? Kathy alluded to a couple, you know, a couple thoughts about where to look for uh, potential employees. But um, resources, MEP, right? The mass mass MEP is is your manufacturing resource. Uh, we provide um, assistance. Myself, my job right now is really helping to uh, connect dots in the community of where. Uh, potential employees could be coming from, particularly non-traditional employees. So um, when I say non-traditional, I mean uh, many of the ones that Kathy was mentioning. So maybe folks who uh, have a disability or they have were formerly incarcerated or potentially their English uh, as a second language or other um, groups of individuals who might have been overlooked in in past. Um, so I think one of the things that's really important is for an, a manufacturer to be thinking about how can I accommodate this non-traditional worker and how do I need to think about, or what do I need to think about with my existing staff? Um, how are they going to be impacted uh, when, I, when I bring in this non-traditional worker population? So one of the things we're doing as a resource is again, connecting to those um, recruitment spaces but then also working with manufacturers to help them understand where they might need to be um, propped up a little bit. Uh, If they're working with people, for example, if you're working with people who are in wheelchairs, you may need to lower your benches, right? Or you might need to make other accommodations. Um, If you're working with folks, if you're thinking about bringing in folks who were formerly incarcerated, it, it might make sense to have communication around that with your existing workforce and make sure that they understand that um, and that they might and, and address any concerns that they might have ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, just involving, really involving the staff in what um, your future plans for recruitment and um, hiring actually are. Trends. I mean, Kathy said this too, but we have more jobs and less people, and that's just going to continue for the foreseeable future, right? So, um, those who do not think about uh, where their workforce is going to be coming from um, will lose. There's just going. There's just more jobs than there are people to fill those jobs. Um, is it by 2030? There'll be more baby boomers out of work than millennials in work. Was that a statistic we heard recently? Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, that's, well, that's your talent, right? Your current talent right now as a manufacturer is leaving. So we're having this huge, this is another whole problem, right? Uh, This huge exodus of legacy information Um, And this influx of folks who actually don't even know what manufacturing is. (laughs) Uh, There's a huge misconception about, you know, manufacturing being a dirty job. um, And of course, some are, but there's some that are so exciting and uh, clean, right? And super robotic. And, you know, I'm sure Ellen will talk about that.
1: (laughs) I think you, well, I think it's a good point. We always talk about, you know, obviously that uh, tribal knowledge where that we are we have that big gap, right? And that's when we talk about where we fit into that role as an organization and where MEP can kind of bridge that gap a little bit of those that are transitioning out and that are coming up. And that's why we have, as our initiatives, we pull these things forward because we see that, we hear that. And so being able to offer these resources or solutions, depending on how you see them, it gives... Um, you know, manufacturers, they're not in this alone. You know, they're obviously you have your colleagues that are going through similar situations. And so we can also be a part of that support group and that support system for them. So it helps them knowing, okay, we have these opportunities and in things such as this, like the workforce, I think is the biggest thing. That was one of the, I think all of these really came from the pandemic. These were I would say what we would consider silver linings for us because they gave us other areas, maybe that we hadn't been looking at for a while. We kind of had been able to uh, maybe let go by the wayside because they were working. Okay. Right. Nothing was really brought to our attention to go, Oh, wow, this needs some work. And then it was, this came into play. So now in situations like this, we can, we can help them do that. So having these solutions for them or these resources is a great way to, help them bridge that gap and pull them back together. So yeah, so that's where, you know, they fit
3: into place. This is a visual I shared yesterday. Um, it's been over the news recently that there's 10,000 boomers retiring every day. Um, I needed a visual for that because 10,000 is a lot, but what does that mean? So if you think about the number of people that can fill Gillette Stadium, yeah, almost 70,000. So every week that number of people are exiting the workforce.
1: Wow, the golf courses have got to be packed.
3: Absolutely, right? Pickleball courts can't get oh, yeah. on. Oh, that's why pickleball has made such a comeback. Yeah. What the heck? Seventy thousand a week? About seventy thousand a week, which oh. is Gillette just about Gillette Stadium. So I needed I needed a visual, right? I had to I needed to see like what. So what does that mean? Yeah. If you think about how hard it is to get to your car after a concert or a Patriots game, (laughs) that number of people are exiting the workforce. And this is nationally, not just Massachusetts. This is obviously nationally, but yeah. Wow. And there isn't that many people, to to Wendy's point, there isn't that many people behind them to find the job. So companies have to think a little bit differently on how they do it.
4: Well, and it's not, I think it's common like, oh, well, those people left during COVID and they're coming back or whatever. But we're talking about generations, right? They're called the boomers for a reason. There was a lot of people. People are not having as, has, have not had as many kids. There just are not going to be the people there. They're not just going to come back. They're just, they're not there. The The population isn't there. If you look at the population in the age range, there isn't enough.
3: It's not there. Yeah.
5: Well, and I think it makes a good, you make a good point with the, the number of, uh, of boomers leaving. And really, that is like that legacy knowledge. Thinking about how a, a manufacturer might utilize on-the-job training while they still have their boomers there, right, is a really smart strategy to enact. Um, and actually, you know, I'd be remiss to say if I didn't tell you that we have this great program that we're implementing right now called Pathways to Production which really utilizes um, on-the-job training for entry-level folks. But it allows for uh, for the employer to utilize a tent agency as a, a hiring intermediary. So the grant that we have pays for the intermediary piece, pays the wages for that new worker for up to 200 hours. So you can really figure out how to leverage your senior staff, your um skilled technicians, your tradesmen and women, to be able to train these new people on the job. And really thinking also about other types of resources that are in the community, pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeship um, and the funding and tax breaks that go along with those things. I think another piece of that whole idea of like resources and tax breaks, when you're looking at non-traditional populations, many times there are incentives um connected to hiring them or or um even thinking about internships and that sort of thing you very well could as an employer be and be um the recipient of a funnel of folks who are looking for jobs that are uh actually there's money to pay for them to learn on your job before you actually even hire them so Mm -hmm. something to definitely be thinking about
1: yeah. I think that goes then too. It also kind of feeds into that retention part of it too. So then you have that component and then it does build on that retention because they see as a coming into that, okay, well, this company obviously is valuing that. So they must value their employees and then right. you have a tendency. Yeah, around. for sure. If you're investing
5: in your employees, um, at pe- yeah, people take notice
4: yeah, and they yeah, do want to
5: be, yeah. I think you know one more thing about non-traditional workers, though, is that they, you know, there's no hard and fast fact on this. It's just uh, that you hear it everywhere you, you go, is that these folks are typically more loyal um, in the sense that they'll stay longer um, at a at a particular location. They uh, they feel very loyal to the people who employ them. Yeah. So retention make, becomes less of an issue.
1: Yeah. And a good investment. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so we've hit two of our three. Um, we want to hit our third trend. And this one, I needed um Ellen had to get her dictionary out of what smart manufacturing was because I had absolutely no clue. And when I say this. Um, I'm going to obviously have a smart answer because when do I not, um, but the trend is smart, smart factories are transforming operations and shop floors and predictive maintenance and digital twin are enabling better decision-making. And I said to Ellen, I go, what the heck is a digital twin? Does that mean like AI world? Like I have a digital twin that lives out there, you know, like, what is that? And, um, and she was like you couldn't have picked a harder question for me to answer maybe and uh i was like no no this is the best one i came up with right kevin we were like scouring and we thought this would be perfect for her
2: yeah no doubt
1: mm-hmm. yeah but in all honesty though ellen when we talk about something like this um is this something that's really really just super big and is this like one of those um illusions of grandeur kind of trend is it so big do we are we better off as manufacturers making baby steps into something like this? Uh, you know, as we move forward. Um, and then is there timelines on this? Is this something you think are you are you hearing and seeing that this type of a trend for lack of better terms is happening sooner rather than later?
4: Yeah, so lots of questions in there as well. Wendy's laughing. So, um, but I know because I do the same kind of thing, so so digital twin, yes, it is a digital replica of your shop floor, everything digitally, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it be your manufacturing process, your system, which then can mimic the behavior and you can do more prediction upfront and and not get surprised like, "Hey, I have no material here." That's wonderful so. I do think it is uh, a bit of an illusion of grandeur to say this is the trend and everybody like jump on board because, and and what we've alluded to here is that there is a need for planning and really looking in the mirror and thinking strategically about your business and where you're going and how you're going to get there before you take that first step right? So if you're going to go take that first step and you're going to be like, I'm going to go down the digital twin path and we're going to go do this. You really got to plan it out because otherwise it's like sprinting when you're really going to be running a marathon and you're done. Like you quit after mile one because you're, you're, you're just never going to finish. Where Why is the finish line so far away? Right? So, You know, when we talk a little bit more about digital twin, right? Like, it's a wonderful thing if you have a full digital twin. Life is so simple, right? Like, it automates your data pulling, cleaning, structuring, like, uh, helps you understand exactly what's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, and then gets the data into the hands of your engineer. Wonderful. But getting there is gonna take years right? For a lot of our manufacturers, and some of them will never get there. It doesn't make sense, right? So, I mean, the amount of cost and money that might go into something like this might not make sense. For some of the large manufacturers that are so big that they can't even see what's happening, they need something like this, right? But so when we take a step back a little bit, if I try and remember all of your questions there, um, I think taking steps and understanding where you want to go. How are you going to digitize? I, I had a good example uh just today when I was talking to somebody about uh warehousing and uh talking about people and not enough people. But today, the way that they are helping manufacturers and warehouses set up is helping integrate so that the data is there on the back end. The people are doing the work. The data is more integrated. And so in a way, it's in a way today that shift forward, when they go to automate it, the system is already set up. You can't just like flip a switch and automate if you have bad data. The same thing is with AI. Data, garbage in, garbage out, right? You gotta have good data. So. The like with any of these things, sure, you can do point solutions with automation, with additive, with, but it's about the culture, the system and taking steps of how are we going to get there and how are we going to integrate into that? Um, I'll give you an example. So let's talk about um, a vendor that I was at the other day. They had, we were walking the shop floor and they ran out of inventory and they showed kind of the issue. And oh, we didn't know it till we went to grab it. And now we can't build this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we got to wait and we got to order. And who, lo- who knows how long that's going to take, right? So having a digital twin is wonderful because you could see all of that from order entry, order comes in. As soon as the order comes in, you get to see and then go put an order in for the material itself, you have it planned out for your machines and what machines are gonna be needed, what operators are gonna be needed, how many people in one month, at what time, everything is planned out, but as you can see with that, all of that data is gonna be right, right? How long does it take for that to go through each operation? If the data in the system is wrong, you're gonna get wrong information, but you can take that in steps right? What's the most, what's the biggest problem today? What's your longest lead time? Okay. When that order comes in, you better make sure you have this on hand and you can do simple things along the way to get you there. But saying digital twin is going to be here in Massachusetts at all of our small to medium manufacturers. I, I don't see it. I don't see it uh, for quite some time for some And for most, I I don't see it happening um, maybe ever. They're just too small. If
1: you were to break it down, so like say, obviously digital twin's a big word, um, two big words. Um, If you were to break it down, what would you, in our day-to-day that we're working in right now, in what you do every day, what would you compare that to? Where is more relevant for a manufacturer to start right now? So, this is big, right? So, on a smaller scale, what could you scale it down to that they could look at and go, okay, I can visibly see that as a starting point?
4: Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. It, you know, it depends, right? We often say that at MEP because it depends on the manufacturer, the situation, the mix of their product, their customer base um what their culture is in their shop but the things that are consistent are some of the things that we've talked about already people want to do things faster right they need to do them more efficiently and so what does that then tie into so a couple of things that might tie into is automation we've talked about this a little bit right But automation could mean a whole heck of a lot of things, right? It could mean a sensor. It could mean a cobot. You know, I was talking to a shop the other day. They have 20 CNC machines. They have a pretty repeatable process in terms of their demand. A cobot might make sense for them, right? Again, depending on the size of the part, et cetera. But you can then move that from one piece to another and you're not locked in. Another company in an industrial robot might have made more sense, again, depending on the volumes and the consistency of the customer. So, automation certainly makes a whole lot of sense. That's not going away. Um, we, A, from the need from workers, right? Is it going to be faster than your person doing the job? Oftentimes not, but does it help so that person can do something else? Absolutely. Um, and, who doesn't want to walk into a shop a young person especially want to walk into a shop and get their hands on a robot get their hands on some sensors get their hands on data rather than just go do go do go do go do mm-hmm. so that's one piece um another piece is additive um i think you know from a pandemic side of things additive got heightened a heck of a lot it just sped up the path and it is growing fast, both from a customizable standpoint. You can customize things. Um, there's, you know, you can see and get little models printed out and stuff like that of different people, very customized. But it's also you get to fail faster and then move forward. Fail faster, move forward, fail faster, move forward. You can get a fixture printed that day. You think of something, you print it out. Uh also something you know somebody like me would love to get their hands on right so uh ties in with that workforce and I think the the what goes along with all of this is really mapping out you got to map out and be more strategic that like you can't expect to just put up a posting and fill it with a person and that that's going to fill your gap you have to really get more strategic about how you're going to solve your business problems. And that is going to be the hardest part and the most important for companies to move forward.
1: But that's where we come in and can help in that support structure again, where we do that and can come in on that front side of it and go through whether it's an assessment of some sort or however it would be, even just a general conversation it's amazing what intel you can get from someone, you know, when you're walking through their plant floor with them. And, you- and all of our,
3: one of the uniquenesses of Mass is that all of our project managers that go in and do the delivery work, all of our sales staff, they've all been there where the person that they're talking to is. They can relate to the pains that they're having, um, so they can best help them and guide them to that strategic future that Ellen's talking about. And the other thing is that you know, we are measured as a nonprofit and part of the ME, federal MEP program um, on the success of our companies. So if they're not successful, then we're not successful. And that's something that's very unique that most trainers and most consultants are not. Um, So we are measured by the success of our clients.
1: That is a fantastic point,
4: Kathy. And, and I'd say on the strategic part, I mean, that is our role, right? I mean, when we're in a client and they say, "Oh, we think, we think we want to do this. We're going to say, okay, tell, tell us more. Why? Right. And to, to, to prevent the point solutions that just fall, Mm -hmm. uh, because we're measured. Right. And so if they fall, uh, you know, and I think because we've all been there, we know what it feels like, and we know how hard it is to take yourself out. You know, it's kind of like, Haley and I talked about this the other day. You read your own paper, you miss stuff, right? Like, you know, you write a paper for English class or whatever, and then you read it. Well, if you pass it to somebody else, they're like, what the heck is that? And, and you miss it. And yeah. I think the same thing is with a business. And sometimes you just need somebody else there to, to call you out and help walk you through and step you along. And because we've been there, uh unlike unlike a lot of other folks you know we, we really want to help help you get to where you gotta go
2: obviously we've gone through a lot of information three trends
6: but... this was about three trends i'm four i think <laughs> i get out <laughs> <laughs> i
1: gotta wrap it all up in a pretty little bow
2: absolutely that's what she's there for so obviously, we've um, gone through a lot of information from a bunch of different areas in this conversation. Um, what are some areas that you think are overlooked for trends and funding? And what would be crucial for the audience to know?
6: So um, I'm going to try to answer those questions. But before I answer those questions, as I'm listening to everybody go through, and it's they're all such important topics. Um, but there's day-to-day business that happens at these manufacturers as well. So is, although we love disruptive innovation and it helps it, it traject- the trajectory is growth. Um, we have things like ISO. All of our ISO standards are going to change in the, in the upcoming year. And all of these new ISO standards are going to involve everything that everyone has talked about today. It's going to involve people, it's going to involve ESG, it's going to involve technology. So just those are the day-to-day business cases that they're dealing with every day out there in the manufacturers. But also as I'm listening to you guys, and if I'm a manufacturer listening, I'm hearing time, money, time, money. Don't have time and I don't have money. So how are you really gonna help me? So I think the time piece is bring people to the table that can help you in the resources that are out there. Um, it's not just MassMEP, although we can, we can direct you to wherever to need, you need to go. But you've got your mass tech collaboratives. you've got your mass developments. You've got all these state quasi agencies that can support you. And if you don't know who they are, again, we know who they are, so come to us and we'll direct you. Um, the government, uh, the federal government and our state government, they do the best they possibly can to find funds to go into your pockets. So those are also areas that we can direct you and support you. Massachusetts is amazing. We hear it from all the other MEPs across the country that we have some of the best funding sources in Massachusetts. You've got your ComCorp, which is working on, they have money that they're putting out there for pipeline training, unemployed or underemployed. There's a money out there for incumbent training. So that is your workforce training fund program that we can help you and provide you with the general grant and the express grant. There's a CAM Center for Advanced Manufacturing that has the M2I2 innovation grants. They have the MMAP grants for capital equipment. Um, can't give this spoiler alert, but something is coming on December 15th. So keep a, a lookout for more funding opportunities there. Um, and then you've got on the federal side, Kathy talked about CHIPS. Lots of money going to CHIPS. Massachusetts was awarded the Northeast Microelectronics Award. They're working on different project calls in six different technology areas. Um, a lot of them I don't understand, but we've got, we've got experts on staff that do understand them. Um, and then you've got your energy grants. You know, you've got DOE that is looking at, you can apply for up to $300,000 for anything that hits an IAC assessment. So it could be lean, it could be technology, it could be um, efficiency, it could be new light bulbs, new HVAC systems, things like that, that would lower your utility bills. So there's funding out there that will help. They're not gonna take care of all of it, but they're gonna help you get on the path to um, a better workforce, a better culture. Um, it's going to help you with technology and it's going to help you with your supply chain and your your risk assessment on that. That's all I got. That was great. That was, a, that was awesome.
1: Perfect. Well, this has been um fantastic. Um, thank you all for taking, you know, a lot of time out of your day. Uh, we appreciate that. And I'm pretty sure that the manufacturers do as well because this is something that we it's probably a question we get a lot is. Uh, How do I just find this information? And so that's why we do this to have it as a easier, faster, more efficient resource for them so they can just listen uh, in some windshield time um, or maybe in the office if they need that break and and can bring this to them. But you can always reach out to us. Uh, We do have a contact us form on our website at massmap.org. So if any of the topics that we spoke about today or if there's anything that Christy just spoke to that you really want to know more about, reach out, uh, shoot us a message in the contact us form so that we can, you know, help you find those solutions because that's that's what we're here to do. And like Christy said, I almost feel like we're kind of, you know, the what's the commercial, the insurance says company that will give you all the quotes. Um and it's not just their insurance, but they'll give you every quote, right? It's that I feel like we kind of are the in the same boat. You know, we do. We want to make sure that we work with these other agencies and vice versa. So we want to keep manufacturing in Massachusetts. We want it to sustain, we want it to grow. And so we will do everything that we can to provide these resources to the manufacturer. So whatever we can do, um, if it, there's no silly question um, as what they say. So shoot us the question through the contact us form and, we'll make sure we get you some answers, um, some way, shape, or form. We'll do it for you. So thank you ladies. Thank you for being here. Kevin well done with the, um, icebreaker question. Good one. Absolutely. Good. So you can get ready for, we have two more podcasts left for the year. We have our, uh, famous holiday podcast and our infamous new year's Eve podcast coming out. So two more fun, uh, icebreaker questions coming your way
2: before. Yeah, get, ex- get excited for those.
1: Yep. You got it. Sure. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the MassMEP Manufacturing Podcast and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Mass MEP Manufacturing Podcast, Transforming Manufacturing
0: Enterprises. You can subscribe to our channel anywhere you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you can always go to our website at massmep.org. So we'll see you next time, whether it's our space, your space, or cyberspace.